There are 574 tribal nations represented across the United States. They each have their own cultural richness, way of living, and customs. They also have health disparities and trouble with the acquisition of resources. Tribal Health, the podcast, wants to shed light on them and bring solutions available to improve access for tribal and indigenous communities. And now your hosts, Melody Lewis, Mario Trujillo, and Morgan Haynes. I've worked with the Pueblo of Sandia and the Pueblo of Laguna for over 10 years. I was also a research professor looking at indigenous mental health and substance abuse at the University of New Mexico for the Center for Native American Health. And I've written about it. I've written about, in particular, my passion is children's mental health because that's what I'm specialized in and that's what I know. So um, right now I work for the Aspen Institute developing curriculum and evaluations for an indigenous native youth leadership program. So. Gosh, that is my jam right there. I love that. Yeah, I've, I've, I've been blessed. I've had a lot of opportunities, but. Yeah, we do a lot of work with Indigenous youth, specifically with urban Native youth, mm-hmm. trying to connect them with, you know, and identity, Indigenous identity. Mm-hmm. Thoughts and, ideas. and that's one of the things I think that really works well is we do an Indigenous framework of leadership training and so we have ceremony in there and we have giveaways and we have all those things that our youth know and that they can learn roles and rules and regulations from our way so the other thing is I'm black feet I'm enrolled black feet born and raised in Montana black browning Mon- browning that Montana is- yeah yeah <laughs> yeah until I uh Got much older and had raised five children on the reservation and farther with the current job I had. So I went back to school. Love that. So let's um let's go ahead and get started. I'm going to ask you one question specifically. And if you wanted, um, you know, one thing I think is a common misconception is that tribes are similar. You know, they all have the same way of of living, right? But there's 574 federally recognized tribes and there's state recognized tribes and there's tribes that should be recognized and are recognized, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. But um, what? Uh, tell us more about your community that you're from and communities that you're currently working in now. So we're, and as you know, it's on the Canadian border. We're one of Four tri four bands. There's three bands across the, the Canadian border, and we're the Umscapi Bikani, the Southern Blackfeet. And my community is about 17,000 members. About 10 live on the reservation. I live my life. It's a reservation of 2.5 million acres, including parts of the Glacier National Park, which, as you might know, was taken from us. And so we live in a beautiful place of the earth, of the world, but we also live in in rural. Our folks there have a lot of difficulties. The growing season there is maybe three months at most. Um, So, and then it's winter or or really cold. And um, so we have a short growing season and that affects people's moods and people's, 
use of substances and all those things. But it's it's a beautiful part of the country. Yes. And then you say you currently are in New Mexico. No, right now I'm I live in Seattle, but I work for the Aspen Institute out of the out of Washington D.C. So I work remotely in from Seattle. Um, I was brought here a while back to be director of the Seattle Indian Health Board Behavioral Health, and then I moved on to this position to work remotely. And so right now I develop I and develop. evaluate cur- curriculum from an Indigenous framework and from an Indigenous framework. So we include ceremony, we include things that are familiar with youth. Also, we include challenges of of how to use your narrative to for advocacy and things like that. We just completed a wonderful training called Remembering Our Sisters, where we trained several young women to address missing and murdered Indigenous women and 2G in their communities. And they use digital storytelling. They use live storyboards. It was a pretty phenomenal piece of, um, not piece of, a, a pretty phenomenal experience. And those young women did phenomenal, heartfelt, trauma-reactive work. I love that. They're um, all necessary, all needed, right? Yes. That knowledge and that approach of, I mean, especially with missing and murdered Indigenous people, relatives, mm-hmm. persons. I'm very interested in learning more about, like, an approach to behavioral health. Um, in your experience, like, what is, how is that different from a westernized, I guess, westernized way of doing behavioral health services? You know, I really, ha- it's taken me a long time as a clinician. I worked as a clinician for about 20 years with some of the Southwest tribes. And um, really is occurred to me after I left my PhD program that delivering services in tribal communities was quite different than all the little tricks and tools that I had learned. And I think one of the things that really is amazing to me, and I, I talk about this and I and I present on this, is how historical trauma is critical in understanding the behaviors of our people today. We didn't wake up one day one day addicted to substances or violence or struggles with depression or anxiety. That has historical underpinnings and immense loss, trauma, and and um, the things that our ancestors viewed. And it's coming to fruition again as we watch that our children are being refound at the government boarding schools. And these are huge traumatizing issues that have never left us. And even if you don't know about it, you still have a trauma response to it. So as an Indigenous clinician, as a Native clinician, I always look at what occurred to this tribe over time? What was their history? Not their history. Trying to understand how that affects current behaviors and current maladaptive coping skills. And we we talk about things from that space. When we can bring that into the counseling or the clinical room and talk about it, people really see that there bad or they chose to be this way, but there's been a history that has predisposed us to certain behaviors like anxiety, depression, substance abuse, violence, all those things. Yeah, what has occurred in tribal communities historically, and then work from that, integrate that into my case conceptualization. Right. I, I mean, I, I'm like kind of 
speechless right now because I'm processing that a little bit. It's not a, it's not a, it's a duh moment for me. Like it's like, aha, like uh, I knew that. Mm-hmm. I, and I now teach that in, in regards to like identity. History is very important and part of indigenous identity. And you don't really connect the dots until you know that information. Like, oh, that's why that happened to me. Or, oh, that's why my parents were like that. Oh, that's why I was raised this way. You know, like understanding the history does really connect the dots to understanding behaviors today. Yes. Yes. I think it's critically important because as we look at at history, um, Melody, we also have to understand that our ancestors survived the most deplorable conditions and they survived policies of genocide. And so we got to remember Remember that. And so when I teach about historical trauma, I always teach from the fact that, but what do we bring forth from our ancestors to keep us going? What do we bring forth that can help us change our life? And so I I look at it from a point that I teach about the teach about post-traumatic growth because a lot we can be traumatized any day by anything but we can come out the other side learning new coping skills and new thinking strategies and so I always teach that part that we have to deal with this. I was really just going to ask too of like how do you teach that to young ones about understanding the importance of history or what is a way to make them understand that? You know, the, the the way that it's very um, enveloping from looking at our history, but also understanding that when we don't resolve issues within our family, in our, in our proximal family, in our proximal trauma, we are set up for chronic trauma, chronic complex trauma, because we have historical trauma, plus we have family trauma, plus we have our own trauma. And when we start looking at it along the then we can understand how to intervene. And for young people, they love hearing about the history. And it often shocks them to understand that there's been significant events like genocide or biological warfare or all those things that are happening today over in Ukraine happened to us years ago. And to understand it in the context of a collective people, that these didn't happen to us one by one. This happened to us as a collective people. So as a collective people, why are we just treating one individual? We have to work with the entire community or the entire tribe because we're a collective people. And so they say that if you make one change with change with one person in a tribe, that it all often affects another 300 people because we have that many relationships connections. And so when we look at it in that kind of view, Melody, I think it really becomes clear to youth that we're not stuck. We're not destined to be anxious or depressed or addicts or alcoholics. We're destined to be resilient and come from that. And and so we're all often so very honored. Like I'm honored to tell you I'm Blackfeet, you know, we're, I'm Scott B. Cunning, we're strong. We're often readily able to tell you that, and our youth are as well, but they're not readily able to tell you what is the resilience in my tribe? What has my tribe been through that really defines and identifies me as a Blackfeet woman today? Yes. 
All of that, yes. I'm like, my camera's not on, so you can't see me smiling I, right now. But I was smiling and like nodding my head over here, like, yes, yes, yes. Because my next question was like, I think that is something different when we think about, I, I was a social worker when I first started. And, um, you know, if I've shared this story before on this podcast, but when you're a social worker on your reservation, you're everything. You're the CPS worker, the foster care coordinator, you do the placement, you do all of that, right? Yeah. And so when we were talking about prevention or intervention, most of the westernized way approaches was really focusing on the individual. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that doesn't work here because you have to support the family. Like you have to bring the family into the intervention and the prevention. Right, and right. So what you were talking about there was really like, yes, I get it. I see that now. It makes mm-hmm. that that makes much more sense. Can you speak a little bit more to like the healing process and the um, focusing on that resiliency? Yeah. So, so um, you know, the Western civilization has taught you with one person and that it's just about the person but when we look at tribes and if we just treat say the the son that they bring in then that son goes home to the house that hasn't changed at all so we're we're collective people we got to work with everybody and so when we we look at healing in the clinical work, in the community work, the more information that they have around historical trauma, around where do their behaviors come from? Well, you know, it's the same story. Dad comes home and beats on mom. Mom yells at the little boy and the little boy kicks the dogs. That's the same story. So we have a history of violence against um, the collective native people here in the United States. And so healing has to occur within the tribe collectively. So within the family. So as a child psychologist, when I practiced, I never seen the child alone. I always said, okay, you're going to be in this too. There were, of course, there were alone sessions as well, but the the family was actively engaged in the treatment of that child. The same is true for adults who are addicted to substances. Always have the family in so that we can address those maladaptive coping skills, the maladaptive language that they do, and how do we um, support each other even in times of crisis. And because we're survivors of trauma, we're often on this survival kind of cat kind of hanging on the wall thing but there's there's other ways to overcome trauma and so in my practice uh, we trauma that weren't so alienating and so divisive to to the individual and can you um also share a little bit about you know what you're doing at the aspen institute with youth leadership so i feel like that kind of ties in right Oh, yeah. So the Aspen Institute, we we have developed an indigenous framework and an indigenous model of curriculum. So our curriculum includes things like ceremony and our curriculum includes understanding historical trauma and our our currently based building of relationships. So most of us who work at the Aspen Center for Native American Youth are women. And so we become aunties to our youth, but we also help our youth to use their narrative for advocacy so that they're able to go on the companies in D.C. to advocate for things like missing and murdered indigenous women or mental health or whatever the, the youth finds useful. And so we help fund the youth to develop programs or projects within their communities. 
the other thing that is just a beautiful thing is we also increase their visibility in larger communities. So some of our youth have been on White House podcasts and some of our youth have been on major panels because we push them and 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 increase in connections for them so they have that experience as well as their grounded experience in their tribe. And so what I tell the youth in in uh, CNAY, I say, this is ceremony. Whenever you're trying to make big changes as Indian people, we're in ceremony because we're making change. So when we're in ceremony, we have a set of behaviors that we act different, we talk different, and we are different. And so when we're working in ceremony to make changes, we treat everybody very humanistic and understanding what needs to be conveyed to the larger audience. And that's critical because I don't think our, our youth understand that they can do this because they've done it all their lives. 100% agree with all of that. I think they just need that confidence to be able to see that they could do something like you've just described, you know? So I agree. Yeah. My last thing, well, I actually have two questions. One is what advice do you have to non-Indigenous folks that are doing behavioral health work in Indian country? Um, what advice would you have for them? And then second question, which is my favorite one, and get you to think about this for a little bit, but we find humor as a resiliency skill. And so we are bonded by slang, res slang. So my second question would be then, what is your favorite res slang and use it in a sentence? <laughs> okay. So those non-native clinicians coming into tribal communities, I think it's really important to integrate with the community. You visit the tribal councils, you visit the tribal health boards, you visit the schools, you find out what their needs are, and then you start develop. So when I work in tribes, I also do community awareness. So I'll do a presentation on psychological first aid to the community. I'll do a presentation on identifying trauma in Indian children to the community. Develop those things that you can bring the community in so that they can learn things, understand that. And the other thing I look at within tribal communities that aren't my communities is what historical events have occurred that have disrupted the normal growth patterns, the normal spirituality patterns, the normal resiliency patterns of our people. And often in that kind of uh, jar, you know, we can add a lot of things and understand that whatever happens in the community doesn't happen alone. It affects each and every community member. So if we have a young person from an MVA, the community remembers that forever. When we have a young person die from suicide, the community struggles to recover from that. So go out and do those community awareness kinds of talks, those presentations, wherever. You know, sometimes you may have maybe 10 people in it, but that's who's supposed to be there. You've got to go out into the community. If you think you're going to help people by sitting up behind a desk in a, in a private office or IHS office, you're, you're sadly mistaken. Um, if you really want to understand the community, 
get out and offer services, offer presentations to the community. A lot of the communities want, you know, what is a, a behavior intervention for a three-year-old? Teach them that. Teach them developmentally appropriate interventions. Those things are critical. And, and, and um, I think you'll find that the community will gravitate for that. They'll appreciate that. But you'll also see your trust level be improved within there because they're not going to trust you. That right there. <laughs> right. Drop the mic. Right yep. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And then the, that was beautiful. The And then the last question is the, what is your favorite wrestling and uh, use it in a sentence. Okay. So my favorite wrestling, and I actually have it on one of my, my salutations in my private email is hold this one. And I'll use it in a sentence. Hold this one. She thinks she's good. <laughs> Hold this one. Don't act like that. <laughs> See what I mean? It just brings laughter. This it's is why that. I love and, it. And we all got it. We all got it. Check that. <laughs> Hold this one. Hold this one. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I can't thank you enough for, you know, wanting to join <laughs> us today and share this wealth of knowledge that needs to be heard. And I think this is something that needs to be shared with the audience that we are engaging because we only know what we know, right? And if we're in school that's long enough that teaching these westernized approaches, it's not going to relate to the communities we're serving. And so anyway, I'm just grateful. Thank you for your time and thank you for, you know, being with us today. Well, thank you for having me. Yes, absolutely. Okay. If you're ever in Arizona, please come see us. <laughs> okay, my friend. Thank you so much. I look forward to hearing it. All right. We'll chat with you later. Thank you so much. It was nice. It was so very nice to meet you. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Tribal Health, the podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's guest. For the show notes, resources, and more, please visit podcast.tribalhealth.com. If you want to learn more about how tribal health can be a solution to health disparities, please visit us at www.tribalhealth.com.